Let's pray together. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. Our God, you are a great and marvelous, wonderful creator. And we are here this morning to praise your name. And Lord, in this moment, the praise continues. As your word is preached, it is praise. And as your word is heard and listened to, it is praise. And I pray that as we experience your word in this moment, that our hearts and minds would be full of praise. Our attention would be on you, the living God, the one who is our living hope, the one who is alive. And so, Lord, I pray that with these words you would be blessed, you would be honored and glorified in all that is said and spoken and done this morning. In your precious and wonderful name, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Um, as you will know in passage, it is our normal practice in this church to preach through books of the Bible. And actually, as a church, even though we're quite young, we've got through a few books in the Bible. Ruth and Colossians and Galatians and Proverbs and even Judges. We've got through books of the Bible. And that is my joy. That is the great joy of my heart to preach through books of the Bible. But there is a time for us as a church to consider themes in the Bible to consider topics in the Bible. So it will help us understand what God is doing in the scriptures more. And so this morning, I want us to think about a topic that we actually see every single Sunday morning. It is a topic that we see displayed every single Sunday morning, except I don't think we always twig that we see it every Sunday morning when we gather. And the topic that I want us to consider for the next number of weeks is that of covenant. Every single time you attend church, you see covenant. Because every single Sunday morning, it is our practice to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we are celebrating God's covenant with His people. The first scriptures I'll have you turn to is Matthew 26. Matthew 26, and look at verse 26. These are the only scriptures that you will turn to this morning. And there will be other verses on the, on the screen for you as we think about this topic of covenant. But I want us to just see that this, this covenant, we see it every single Sunday morning. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 says this. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Did you notice the words of Jesus when he took the cup? He said, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. Every single Sunday, we see a picture of God's covenant with his people. Yet I wonder, do we fully understand what it actually means? Because as Jesus says, this is the cup of the covenant. It is a storyline that has ran right the way throughout Scripture until Jesus comes to this moment and says, this is the cup of the covenant. It is a storyline that runs throughout Scripture and Jesus comes to the final moment and those who would know their Scriptures well would know this is what it was all pointing to. The cup of the new covenant. So this covenant is a theme that we see every single Sunday morning, every time you attend church. And it is also a theme that you see every single time you open up your Bible. Every time you open up your Bible, you see this theme of covenant right the way throughout the scriptures. Um, I was, I'll admit to you, when I was attending my, uh, the seminary that I'm studying with, um, doing it on a modular basis in, in the States, and when I attended, I, I, got a, I shouldn't get starstruck, but I got a little starstruck, nerdy starstruck. Here, here's the thing. I saw a theologian that I read all the time. Okay? You're like, what a loser. Um, I saw him, and I was, I was pretty starstruck by him, and he approached me, and we talked together, and he's just one of my favorite uh, theologians. His name is Tom Schreiner. And I want you to hear what he says about the covenants. We won't elevate this to the same level of Scripture, but I want you to hear what one of the best theologians, I think, in the New Testament says about the covenants. Tom Schreiner. We can rightly say... That covenant is one of the most important notions in the Bible. We can say without exaggeration that we can't truly understand the scriptures if we don't understand the covenants God made with his people. That's a massive statement. That we cannot truly understand the scriptures unless we understand the covenants that God made with his people. Now, as a church, it, we want it as our practice to go through the books of the Bible. But if we don't understand the covenants, we mightn't fully understand what we're reading. And let's all be honest. There's times where you and I have opened up our Bible, and it might be early in the morning or late at night, and we don't have a clue what we're reading. There's certain books in the Bible you're kind of like, what is going on? And the covenants that God made with his people, as we study them together, they're going to help us understand the scripture better. So you see covenant every time we gather on Sunday morning. You see covenant every time you open up your Bible. And you see covenant in every single marriage there is in this world. Every marriage you see is called a marriage covenant. Yesterday, I was invited to um, this celebration. A friend of mine in Passage invited me to come and, I don't know, do a blessing of some sort or whatever um, at the, at the uh, celebration of their 60th wedding anniversary. And when I was there, I thought to myself, 
What a wonderful picture of marriage covenant. They don't enter it lightly. They have committed. They have gone through the better and the worst days. And they have said that we are in it for 60 years. And you know what I told them yesterday? It's not over until you die. You still have to love each other until death do you part. And what we see in marriage, every marriage in this world is marriage covenant. Even in the secular weddings, if you have attended a secular wedding recently in Ireland, and there's more and more of those secular weddings in Ireland, the formal language they will use in that ceremony is still the covenant of marriage. And in the scripture, obviously at the start of the scripture, you will see the first marriage, the first covenant of marriage. And what you have in the scripture, at the beginning of the Bible, it says in, in terms of the Lord's creation of this world, each and every day it says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. At the end of the sixth day it says, and it was very good. But in Genesis chapter 2, there was one thing that is stated that it is not good. And that's Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. It says this, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. This is the beginning of the covenant relationship that we see every day in our lives. God is saying, I see man here, and it is not good for this man to be alone, so I'm going to make a helper for him. And then what God does is he brings all of the animals before Adam. And it says in Genesis 2, verse 20, The man gave names to all the livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. You see, there was a problem. Adam needed a helper. And then all these animals come through, and he names them all. And as he sees all the animals, he's like, no, not a good helper. No, not a good helper. No, not a good helper. God, what are you doing? I need a helper here. And none of these animals are fitting helpers for me. And then what God does is he puts Adam to sleep, and he makes for Adam a helper, Eve. And what we hear in the first few chapters of the Bible are the very first recorded words of a human being ever. The very first recorded words of any human being was when Adam woke up, he saw Eve, and he said these words, at last, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then in Genesis 2.24, it says these words, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the covenant relationship. And when man and woman is to enter into that covenant relationship, they leave their family and they join and form a new family. Have you ever heard this at weddings where a father will get up or the father of the groom or the father of the bride and they will get up and they will say, welcome into our family, okay? That's nice language to say, welcome into your, our family. 
But that's not what's happening. You're not welcomed into each other's family, actually. What happens in the marriage covenant is you've created a new family unit. That means you don't live like this family. You're not living like this family. You have your own unit that you are primarily responsible for. Now, it's nice to say welcome into the family. You know, we're not going to say, no, that's wrong when someone says that. But what's actually happening is a new unit is formed and created. And what happens with a lot of our family problems is this. We haven't broken away and formed that new unit properly as we should. So this is the covenant of marriage that we see. Now, in the early chapters of Genesis, you will not hear the word covenant. Even with this marriage, you will not hear the word covenant. But I would argue that even if you don't hear the word covenant, what you have still got here is covenant. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16 to 17, it speaks of the adulterous woman, and again in relation to marriage, and it speaks of it as a covenant. It says this in verse 16. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Marriage is a covenant, not only that human beings make before each other, but it is a covenant that is made before God that should not be broken. Again, in Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, it says this. You ask, why? It is, it is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Interesting that both times it talks in relation to this marriage covenant, is when people are breaking it. And just as a side for us this morning, it is very important in marriage that we do not have the world's view of marriage. The world's view of marriage says, I can go in, I can go out. I can enter in, I can leave. As soon as I'm you know, not all that happy, see you later. The world would say when you have fights and arguments in your marriage, you can use the D word as a threat. But no. No. The marriage covenant is something we commit to for life. It is not to be taken lightly. If you are married this morning, you said, till death do us part. Do you know what that means? Until you die, you're together. Let me say that again. Until you die, you're together. That's the extent of the marriage covenant. And it is beautiful. And then what blows me away, what absolutely blows me away about the covenants in Scripture is that when God makes a covenant with His people, it is far more intimate and more loving than any covenant we have ever seen on this planet. It is the covenant between God and His people. And the expression of that love 
that we see in the covenant of the Lord is actually seen in the Psalms. You know, this summer we did the Summer in the Psalms series. And I was blessed by that series and encouraged by those who are preaching the word faithfully in this church. And we are blessed to have those who can do that for us. And as I was thinking of the love that's expressed in the covenant between God and his people, it made me think of one of the Psalms. Not the longest Psalm in the Bible, Psalm 119, but the shortest Psalm in the Bible, Psalm 117. Let me read these words to you. It says this, Praise the Lord, all the nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. That's one of my favorite psalms. Because it is the psalms in a nutshell. What is everybody called to do? Whoever has breath. What are they called to do? Praise the Lord. It is our job to praise the Lord. So when we are here this morning and we are singing, we're doing what the Lord commands us to do. And this morning it filled me with such joy to think we are doing what God has called us to do. We together are praising the Lord. Now the psalmist answers the question that we might ask. Well, why should we praise the Lord? And he answers that question with a little word for. Let me give you the reason. Here's the reason. For great is his steadfast love toward us. We praise Him because His steadfast love is great toward us. And we praise Him because of the faithfulness of the Lord which endures forever. And these two words in Hebrew, steadfast love and faithfulness, are partnered words that are often used together to express God's covenant love toward His people. It is a love that never ends. It is a love that never fails. It is a love that always sustains. And it is a love that proves his faithfulness to us. And so when you look at the covenants that God makes with his people, and you look, say, at our example of the covenant of marriage, you will see a picture that helps us as we look at the covenant of marriage and look at the covenant between God and his people. In the covenant of marriage, what you have is a relationship. The covenant is relational. There's four things you see in the covenant of marriage. It is relational. It is relationship. The second thing you see, it is choice. Both people choose to enter into this covenant. The third thing you see is that it is based on promises. I am promising to stay with you until death do us part. And the fourth thing that you see is that there is a sign. The sign that we as human beings use is this ring. I keep this on, I put this on, because I'm showing everybody, hey, I'm married. This is the sign. It's the sign of the covenant. And what you will see in the beautiful love expressed before God and his people is that the covenants are relational. They're choice. They're based on promises and they're often accompanied by sign. 
But what I want you to notice as we go throughout the covenants in these weeks is the one who always initiates them. It is God's choice to enter into the covenant always. There is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. It is this. God is the great initiator. He starts everything. Did you think of the creation of the world? No. Did you start it? No. Were you there when the foundations were there? No. Who thought of that? Who was the great initiator? God himself. He's the great initiator. The new birth. Who is the one that gives us new birth, new life? Did I invent that? Did I think of that? Did I initiate that? No. God is the great initiator. He initiates it all. Our justification, our sanctification, our redemption, it is all initiated by God himself. And so when he enters into covenant with his people, he is the one who takes initiative. We didn't think of it. We didn't come up with it. And that expresses his love toward us. In this world, they will often encourage the men, pursue women. Pursue your wife. Do you know what God does? He pursued us. He sought us. He found us. He bought us. He initiated this great covenant of love. And so if that is true about the covenants, before we go into them in the future weeks, there's two things I want us to go away with this morning. There is a, a truth that I want us to cling to and a question that I want us to ask. And if all this is true about the covenants, the truth I want us to cling to is this, that God is committed to you, his people. God hasn't forgotten you. He is committed to you every second, every minute, every hour of the day. He is committed to you, his people, and he will not let you go. That is what the covenants tell us. And you see this right throughout the covenants of Scripture. I believe there is a covenant at creation. I'm making a statement there, but I believe there is. There is a covenant, I believe, with Adam at the beginning of creation. And what do you see in that covenant with Adam? Who initiates it? God. Who is faithful? God. Who is faithless? Adam. God, he comes and he makes a commitment with Noah. Who initiates it? God. Who remains faithful to it by putting his bow in the sky? God. Who is faithless to the covenant? It is his people. And you think God would just give up. I mean, these people fail. But no, what does God do? He chooses again to enter into covenant with Abraham. And he makes covenant with Abraham. Covenant promises that he keeps with Abraham. And does Abraham may remain faithful to the covenant? No, not always. And then you think God would give up. But no, then God decides he will make a covenant with who? Moses and the people. And God makes a covenant with Moses and the people. And in the heart of that covenant is this reality of these verses in Exodus and Leviticus. Where God says... I will be your God and you will be my people. And do you remember in that covenant, do you remember what all the people said? Lord, we're going to follow you. 
for the rest of our lives in this covenant relationship, we're going to follow you. And what happened? God was faithful, but his people were faithless. So you would think God would give up, but then you know what God does? He establishes a covenant with David. And he says to David, David, I am going to make a king reign on your throne forever and ever and ever. And God remained faithful to that promise to the end when the Lord sat before his disciples and says, here, this is the cup of the covenant. Do you get it? God remained faithful right the way throughout the storyline of Scripture. And so the truth I want you to walk away with this morning is even though you are faithless, He has remained faithful. He is committed to you. That's the truth I want you to cling to this morning. But then there is a question that must be asked. If God is committed to you, are you committed to him? Are you really committed to him? Day in, day out, every day of your life, committed to him. When we went to Brazil, we visited a lot of family members. Uh, don't let all the Instagram photos fool you. There was a lot of visiting people as well with, with, with the nice photos too. We visited family members and there was this one, one trip where we were going to visit one family member. We were driving to this family member. And another one from the other side of the family was going to join us and meet us there. So now you had these two family members in the room for a while before we arrived. One of those family members was a Christian. The other family member was not a Christian. One family member was a very zealous Christian. The other family member was not a Christian. And so what happened in the space of time of us driving to this house to meet with them, it transpired that when we got into the room, this uh, committed and zealous Christian was celebrating because this non-Christian, it seemed, had converted and turned to the Lord. And so then they waited for us because I was coming and, you know, the pastor's coming or whatever, so let's wait for him to come and we'll pray together. So we stood in the room and we prayed together. And then as we were in the room, I got the feeling, and I'm, I think Luana got the same feeling, that I wonder if what has really happened has really happened. Because you've got a really zealous Christian and you've got another person who kind of just wants to please that person. And so what I did is there was this Bible on the table. It was a Portuguese Bible. I couldn't read it. And I opened it up to, to Luke and I gave it to Luana. And I asked Luana to read these verses from Luke. Luke chapter 9 verse 23. She read these verses. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And then I said to the person who had converted, if what has happened today is true, if what has happened really today is true, it won't only be true for today. It will be true tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. 
Because what this verse says is that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How much? Daily. If you are committed to Jesus, it's not a commitment that will be in the past. It is not a commitment that you wait for in the future. It is commitment that will be evident in your life daily. So that's my question to you. Are you committed to him? First, have you given your life over to Jesus? Trusted in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you have done that, where is your commitment level at? If someone was to look at your life right now and your commitment level to Jesus, where would they say that commitment level is at right now? God is calling us to be a committed people to Him, to devote our lives day in and day out to Him. Have you committed your life to Him? And one of the evidences that you have committed your life to the covenant Lord is also that you have committed your life to his covenant people. The church is called the church in scripture, the body of Christ, all sorts of names. But the church is also called the covenant people of God. That means that when I've entered into this promise, this new covenant with the Lord and believed in him and, and trusted him in him by faith, I have a family and I am called to commit my life not only to him, but I'm called to commit my life to the family of Christ. And so you will hear this encouragement in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the writer says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. It is our job as God's people not only to commit our lives to Him, but to commit our lives to his people. Notice the language that he uses. As some are in the habit of doing. What is your habit? Is your habit mostly directed towards, I need to gather with God's people? Or is your habit mostly directed towards, I need to stay and do my own thing. How committed are you? And that's a question for you and God. You see, it is our job to encourage one another. That's the job of Christians, to encourage one another. So when we sing together, what are we doing? We're encouraging one another. Those of us who are there on Friday nights, isn't it encouraging to build one another up? The children in this room need to know that it is encouraging for us as adults to see the children there. That's encouraging. The teenagers need to know it's encouraging for us as adults to see the teenagers there. It's encouraging. Are you committed to God? And are you committed to God's people? That's the challenge for us. And one of the ways I think we can consider doing that even as a church, even this week, there is an opportunity, isn't there? The women are gathering this week in our house. It is an opportunity for you as women to gather and encourage each other in the faith. 
build one another up. Now there is a difference, of course, isn't there, between I have work on Wednesday night, okay, legit, and I have the third episode in my Netflix series on Wednesday night. There's a difference, right, between those two. And you have to ask yourself the question, am I really committed to these people? Do I really love these people? And, and, and I say this to you for your good. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to harm you or hurt you. I'm not trying to say, you know, we're going to be taking attendance and all this stuff. That's not what it's about. There will be days you won't be able, of course there will, and stuff you won't be able to do. But the question is, what is your habit? And I guarantee you, if your walk with the Lord Jesus is suffering right now, if you would commit to the life of this church, I think you're going to see a difference in a few weeks' time. And so I'd encourage you and challenge you. Look at your calendar in September, in October, and see how can I commit to the body of Christ and commit to the Lord in my relationship with Him. If the covenants speak of God's commitment to us, the question for us is, are you committed to Him? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this great theme of covenant. And Lord, I pray that as we look at the covenants more closely in the weeks to come, covenant with Adam and with Noah and with Abraham and with David, um, Lord, and the new covenant, Lord, I pray that we would see the never-ending, ceaseless love of our Lord. Help us see your commitment to us and help us be committed to you. And so, Lord, I pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.